Well, good morning, everybody. How many of you are ready to find some calm in the chaos? Okay, good. Right crowd. So my name is JJ. I am from South Africa. I moved here about 10 months ago with my family to join the work at OSC, and it's been a really fun ride. Really thankful to be here. And uh, I co-lead with Pastor Josh, the Jennings campus and this campus. And um, don't if you, if you guys are here for the first time, <clears throat> we have two other campuses, one in Jennings and one in Eunice. So a bit of a shout out to those guys doing awesome work in those cities as well. And uh, so today we're going to um, continue with our crazy series. And um, next week, by the way, we're starting with a legacy series. And first Sunday is going to be Vision Sunday. So we want to invite you all to come out to the Vision Sunday and just hear afresh from Pastor Josh what um, your God is saying to us in this season and where we're going and how you guys can be involved in that. Um, and so a while back, we just, you know, kind of just took our heads out of, the, you know, out of the business of things, and we asked ourselves, you know, what are the things that we should be focusing on in this season? And so we've been just, we've just been laying foundations, foundations of Christian thinking, foundations of Christian living, that we know if our churches and if our members would apply these things, they will start growing, and they, things will start changing in their lives. But how many of you know that when you start changing things, it doesn't always go, go like extremely well all at once? It kind of sometimes it feels like things go down first before it starts getting better again, right? And so when you when you when you bring improvement, when you bring changes, sometimes you have to deconstruct certain things before you can start constructing a fresh and a fresh. Sorry, I'm from Africa. Every now and then my inner Afrikaner comes out, and I have to I have to subdue him, you know, and just uh, so that so that the rest of the world can understand the word I'm saying. I'm just messing. Um, and uh, so yeah, so we've been introducing thoughts. We've been talking um, quite extensively in our Activated series on just things that Christians, if you would do, if you would live with those principles, and if you would be con gain conviction about those things and apply that to your life, your life will start making traction. You will get traction. Your faith will get traction, and you will start to see some things shift in your life. And so um, as a part of our crazy series, we've spoken about so let me just say, at Jennings, we spoke about other things. We spoke about uh, my crazy life, the one that we didn't do here. They talk about scheduling, all about prioritizing and making sure that we got the right priorities in order. If you have the right priorities in order, you kind of uh, reduce stress in your life because you're focusing on the things that you know you should be doing. Um, and then in, 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 um, in Eunice, they spoke about my crazy schedule. And so you guys can get all this on our, on our website. If you go to our website, you click on that campus, you can download those different sermons. And we spoke about our crazy finances over here as well as in the other campuses. No, not all the other, all the other campuses, but some of them. And then um, we laid down the biblical pattern of how to handle our, our financial lives. And if everybody would apply that to their lives, they will get traction in their finances. We, we played around with the idea that, you know, God's, pattern leads to God's product. And if we're called to honor God, it means that we're called to follow His pattern. We used to follow His way of doing things. And if we would do that with the right heart, it will lead to His product. And, um, and today we're going to be jumping into just um, everything about my job, my work, and how things get crazy. And we know we need to talk about this because we, when we did a little survey, we were, um, people told us that, you know, the number one stress that they were carrying in their lives was finances. And the second one was jobs, not winning at work. And so today I'm hoping to almost rewire your thinking about work 
that'll help you to approach it in the way that God means for you to approach it. And through doing that, gain a a less stressed environment at your workplace. And so um, I'm going to jump into it. We uh, have been sharing this theme verse, and it's a warning to us as, as Christians and uh, this is not just for people that don't know God. This is even for us because our focus can shift away from God's things onto the world's things. And then the very same uh, outcome will uh, unfortunately come into our own lives as well. It says, be careful of your hearts or your hearts, sorry, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will come close will close on you suddenly like a trap. You know, the thing about a trap is you don't see it coming, right? Right? If you saw it coming, it would have been a trap, right? What, you know, if you see something coming that you need to overcome, it's an obstacle. It's not a trap. A trap you never saw coming. And the thing about a trap is, is that when it's on you, you're usually not prepared to deal with it. And so it, it captures you and it's able to hold you away from or stop you from doing what you were busy doing, where you were busy going. God has a destiny for each and every one of us, right? God has a plan and He's moving us towards a particular place. But you know what? There are traps that if you are not prepared to deal with it, it will derail you, even as a child of God. It will derail you and it will lead you or stop you away from or from doing what God has called you to do, what God has called you to become. I want to speak a bit about that today. So some of our thoughts that we've been sharing is almost like pre-season workouts. So, I mean, it's pre-season workouts sometimes feels a little unnecessary. I mean, why should I be? I mean, there's no games coming up soon, you know, so why should I be doing all all of this? Well, the thing is that pre-season workouts normally work on conditioning, It doesn't necessarily work on performance. It works on conditioning. Why? Because if you're conditioned correctly, the day when the the game comes and you have impact on your body that you're not prepared for, you'll get hurt. And you'll get cut from the team because you have something that you have to go recover from. But if you were conditioned correctly, even things that came out of nowhere, your body was prepared to already to take it. You didn't prepare for it in the maybe the workout that was prior to that game, but you prepared for it back way back when. And so you've been conditioned to take that impact. You've been conditioned to take that surprise and still stay strong and still keep going and still compete. So oftentimes Christians, they just want to get in the game. Man, you know, I just, I just want to get, I just want to tell my kids what they need to do and I just want them to obey. Right? Oh, somebody missed a big amen right there. <laughs> I just want to, you know, I just want to um, start, start my work and then you just rise to the top. I just want to, you know, I just want to um, not study and I just want to do well at school. We just want to get in the game and then we hope that it will work out well for us. And the thing is, though, if you did not condition yourself correctly, you will find yourself in the game faltering. What happens to you if your kids don't obey you? Let me tell you this. If you lose it on them, you've not been conditioning yourself correctly. A parent who completely blows a gasket when a child does something wrong 
have been conditioned wrong. It's a kid. It's a child. They're going to disobey. Prepare for it. You see the thinking? We have to start thinking to the future what's going to happen and condition our hearts, condition our minds correctly so that when those moments come, we act appropriately. We don't overreact or just react in a way that later on we regret having done or now later on we have to now go and say, I'm sorry for things that I did wrong. God wants us to think about our future like this and prepare for what's going to come. And, and here's the thing. Many of us haven't been preparing for our work lives. We haven't been getting the right mindset and the right heart when it comes to approaching my job. And so now I find myself in a place where I hate my job. And it's a dread going there. And it's a stressful environment. And I don't know how to, how to handle it. And I'm hoping that through today's truths, we will re, we'll just take a couple of steps back and we'll just reconsider the whole thing of work and look at it according to the way God looks at it so that we can start taking a different approach to our workplaces and our work. All right, so you guys ready for it? Good. All right, so is everybody feeling okay today? Everybody feeling all right? You're, you're a little quiet. Feeling good? Somebody's sleeping. Don't sleep on me, Brooks. <laughs> I know these chairs are like, you know, they're made for sitting down. They're not made for standing up. They're not made for listening either. But you guys are awesome. You guys are gonna, you guys are gonna be able to, to, to muscle through all this. Let's look at some statistics. 80% of workers report that they feel stress on the job. 25% have felt like because of job stress. 10% are concerned about an individual at work they fear might become violent. And 14% felt like sucking a co-worker in the past year. <laughs> All right, 14%, show yourselves. <laughs> All right. I'm especially scared if a woman puts her hand up at that point. Let's not forget the hardest work of all, being stay-at-home moms and doing the household management and all of that. I mean, that is just, it's been shown that this is probably, should probably be the highest paying job out there just because of the hours that goes into it, you know, and the levels of responsibility and all the team that it helps enable to do all the rest of other, th other things in life. So moms, we acknowledge you. We thank you for being so faithful. Now, it does become a problem, you know, if this worker feels like striking her co-worker. <laughs> I know that's not us, right? Is it us? It's not us? It's not us, right? Oh my goodness, it's going to be a hard <laughs> the pulpit. <laughs> okay, guys, let's loosen it up a little. I want us to, um, to start working on God's, God's worldview for, for work. How many of you have heard the word worldview before? Okay. So world is basically explained like this. It's a set of beliefs that sometimes you're not even aware of, that you hold to them, that you believe them. And those beliefs make like a, 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 a filter in front of your mind. And it says, in a sense, we can describe it like a, like a glass, like glasses with a particular lens color that you see everything through. 
Okay, so a worldview is a set of beliefs that you measure, rate, and judge the whole world according to. Here's the problem. If you do not have a biblical worldview about work, you will use whatever other worldview you have to judge, rate your own work where you're currently at. And that's problematic. Because if you do not have God's way of seeing things, you're not going to get God's product. You're not going to get God's result in the end of the day. And so what I'm going to share with you today is just two basic fundamental parts of biblical worldview about work so that we can start viewing it correctly and then make some conclusions from there. The first, the first and big thing about work is that God, we serve a God who works. God works. Now, I know the Bible says that, you know, God rested, but that is just referring to the part of creation. Where did our light go? Did, did we do something with the lights? It just does that automatically? I stepped out of the line. I'm too far forward. I feel disconnected from you. I need to, I want to, I want to connect with you a little bit more. Um, but we serve a God who is a, who, who works. Now, God did creation, and he rested from creation, but that doesn't mean that he stopped working. The Bible says that he still upholds everything by the word of his power. He is still working to keep everything in place that he created, right? Not only that, he not only works on the, on the, on the, on the, on the universe, he also works individually in each and every one of our lives. Romans 8 says it this way. It says, and we know that in, wait, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. In every little situation, God is busy working on your behalf. He's busy trying to get things to fall in place so that his promises can come true. He's busy working on your heart so that your heart will get into alignment with his will so that you will submit to his process so that he can produce in you his product. And you will not be able to get there until you actually align yourself with that process. And so God is working very hard. If I know me, I know God is working hard. But here's something we also know about God. He loves His work. Look at Genesis 1, the creation story. Every single day after the day's work, what did He say? It is good. God gained satisfaction from His work. He loved what He did, right? He thought that what He did was awesome. He took pride in His work. And the interesting thing is, is that the Bible doesn't start off with explaining to us who God is. The Bible starts off by showing us what God does. We're learning about God through His actions, not through theory. We get, to, we get to see a bit into the God nature if we consider the things that He's doing in our lives. Think about this. God created order out of the chaos. That says something about God. God created things to be beautiful. Just look at your neighbor. No, if you... <laughs> Someone's like, I can't look at my neighbor. I don't think I'm in agreement with God on this one. Okay. God created beautiful things. Think about this. 
Think about this question. Why is there beauty in creation? Why is things beautiful? Everything evolution tells you is just a matter of survival. It doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to be strong. So why is it beautiful? What you're feeling right now is what every scientist that's trying to use evolution to prove where we came from feels. We cannot explain why things are beautiful. But you know what? We can. We can because we serve a beautiful God who creates from His essence. He expresses who He is in what He's done. It's the only plausible reason why things on earth actually has beauty. So God shows us who He is by how He does things. Who He is is revealed through what He does. Here's the second thought. God works. He created us in His image, so we work. We do not work because we are punished. We work because we're created in His image. If you've ever felt work is a curse, you have to change out your lenses. Work is not a curse. Work is an opportunity to be like God. Work is an opportunity to act and do things like God do things. It's an opportunity for you to express your nature. It's an opportunity for you to express who you are. Work is, was never meant to be a curse or punishment. It was never God's idea. Right from the beginning, work was meant to be a blessing. So God, so the Bible says in Genesis 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So essentially God said to Adam, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to make something. It's going to be beautiful. And I'm going I'm to put you in charge of it. And you better upkeep this standard. Because according to how I did it, I want you to keep it and I want you to work it. And then God says to Adam, all right, this is not enough. You need to multiply, make more of you, so that there's more workers and keepers so that we can subdue the rest of the earth. I put the pattern in place. Now you go copy paste wherever you go. But that all involves work. So God said to Adam, Adam, I want you to name the animals. What did he say to Adam? He said to him, make this efficient. Differentiate between things. Don't always be talking about the four-legged thing with the horns and the, the, the purple spots, goodness, the white and black spots. Name it. Give it a category. Put it in order so that everybody can participate, so that you can start handing this information down so that you can train others to keep it and work it. Management, leadership, teaching, all of these aspects, God created it to express His pattern on earth. And if you're not approaching your work in an attempt to express God's will on earth, you're missing the whole plot. You see, the first thing we do when we look at a job is what? Starts with a C. Compensation. Yeah, that's my highest motivation. Biblically, work is an opportunity to express who God is. 
We work because God works, and we're created in His image. Now, I'm going to give you five principles to handle your work that will, if you will follow them, cause you to not stress so much about your work and at your workplace. It'll completely change your thinking about what your purpose is there, what you are there for, and how you need to approach it. So the first point we're making today is for work, God, that we work for God, not for people. Colossians 3 verse 23 to 24 says the following. It says, don't just do the minimum that'll help you get by. Do your best. Work your, um, do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you will get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up for bad work. How many of you have uh, submitted to a shoddy you know, assignment? Kind of just been slapdash about how you went about doing your project. I certainly have. I mean, this thing here convicted me hectically when... I mean, I, we were in college, and, and we, we joined a, a Christian student ministry that helped instill a, a godly work ethic and a biblical worldview of work in our hearts and lives. And you know what? Our group of students became known with the lecturers of the university to be hardworking, good grade producing, you know, helpful students. In the, and it was purely because we started doing this. We started working for God, not for good grades. We started working for God, not for accolades. And our work was offered to Jesus as a worship offering, not as an accomplishment that we're meant to, you know, put before people to compare ourselves and am I still on? see ourselves as being better than people around us. Let me ask you this. The way you go to work tomorrow, can you bring, the way you're doing, did your work this last week, would you be willing to bring that to Jesus and say, hey, I did this for you? Could you bring that before him as worship? Now everybody's <laughs> rehearsing all the, <laughs> all the things. They're like, oh my God. The point is simply that if you can step into this room today and offer songs of worship and adoration to Jesus, but you cannot step into your workplace and do that to his glory, there's something wrong with your Christian walk. He didn't ask us, hey, take up your, you know, um, we need to uh, take up our crosses once a week on Sundays and follow him. He said, daily, take up your cross and follow me. If it's going to be daily, it's going to be at your job, right? Amen. It's going to be right there in the midst of everything where the pressure's on, where the goals need to be reached, and we have, we have pressure from, our, from above us, we have pressure from below us. He's still saying, I am first and foremost your work giver, your employer. Do what you do because you're doing it for me. That changes our attitude a little, doesn't it? It changes our perspective. It asks the question, Am I glorifying God with how I am doing this? 
it also asks the question, can I glorify God with what I'm doing here? And to just use an extreme example, I don't think sex work can glorify God. All right? So it asks the question, what are, am I doing? Can I glorify God with it in the first place? All right? And so if I can, then it becomes a question of how am I doing this? Can I glorify God? Yes. How am I doing this? Am I doing it with the right motivations? Am I doing it with the right attitudes? Am I, am I doing it because I'm going to be seen or I want to, you know, I have ambition, selfish, or I, want to, I, want, I want to become somebody? Or am I really doing it to glorify God and to help other people see Him? Let's just quickly strip back, like, everything that we currently do in life. And let's just consider the big eternal picture that we're dealing with here. We have 7 billion people on this earth of whom a massive group of people do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God's primary concern right now is not for you to get a raise. His primary concern is and will forever be the salvation of mankind. You aligning your priorities with God's puts you in the right rhythm with God for everything else in your life. That's Matthew 6.33. Explain. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. He wants you to value most what He values most, first and foremost. And that is not whether you're having a fun time with the you know, guy next to you or the person across from you, from the aisle from you. It's, are you interceding for their salvation? Are you actually hoping that they would get saved? Because if you're not, you're missing the biggest point of our existence. Each and every Christian's first calling is, to, um, is, is, is the salvation of other human beings. Well, first, let's say first to glorify God with our lives. And second, to make Christ known to other people. That is your first job. And so many Christians take that as a little, you know, maybe like, a, like if, you, if, you, if, you, if you divide your life up into a, you know, a, a time management uh, pie chart and, you know, you put, a, uh, you know, one pizza slice is this, the other pizza slice, and then the itty bitty little pizza slice here in the end is for God. And, and even a smaller little sliver of that is for, you know, okay, this is when I do outreach. Let me tell you this. If you take that pizza and you make it into a wheel, the hub needs to be God. And He wants to bring definition to every little spoke so that that will of the kingdom keeps running throughout the earth and bringing people to Jesus. He wants to bring definition to where you do your work. He wants to bring definition to the way you do family. He wants to bring definition to, where, to the way you do holiday. He wants to bring definition to the way you do your sport. If He does not get access to your sport, He's not Lord of your life. If you keep him out of your holidays, he's not Lord of your life. 
to keep him out of your workplace. He's not Lord of your life. He wants access to every single part of your life. And so today we're talking about work. He wants access to your work. Why? Because he's your first employer. He asked us to multiply and subdue the earth. And in essence, he wanted us to bring his way of doing things, his pattern into the whole world. And right now, that is the salvation of mankind. And I know I'm stressing this point, but it's a very important point because it, it makes us able to say to, the, to God, Lord, I, I worry about what you worry about. If we, will, if we will extend our energy and effort to the right things, the other things will just kind of fall by the wayside. But it's how am I living my life to glorify God and to make Him known? That's my first job as a Christian. And by the way, that whole thing is your whole life. Each Christian has a purpose within a church family. But each Christian also has a purpose outside this walls. If you, look at, if you look at Acts, you see most of the miracles that was done wasn't done in the temple. It was done outside, in the marketplace, in houses. That's not, that's not the professional Christians. That's, that's everybody. That's you trusting God for your neighbor to get saved, for your colleague to, to get healed. First and foremost, we work for God. Secondly, we need to discover our real purpose so that we can start making a difference. Let me say it this way. You will not start walking in your purpose unless other people start benefiting from your presence. You will not start walking in your purpose unless other people start benefiting from your presence. Our purpose is not about us. My destiny is not about me. It's about people. It's always about people. That's why God is asking us to lay down our lives and to count others um, of higher value than ourselves. That's why, he's, that's why he was the greatest servant leader. He walked in his perfect purpose, and that meant he needed to serve other people. I tell my daughters this every day. I'm praying that today you will be leaders. And I ask them, what are leaders, girls? And they will tell me, if we help other people and if we find solutions to issues, if we make plans. That's what leaders are. It's about other people. Leadership's not about position. It's not about accolades. It's not about performance. Most of the school system that I grew up in would teach you that, hey, if you have great academic, uh, you know, great academic achievement, good, you're the leader. Oh, my goodness. That has very little to do with leadership. That has a lot to do with self-leadership. I'm able to you know, lead myself and do and accomplish things that I need to accomplish. But it doesn't have a lot to do with, with leadership because leadership is about other people. It's not about me. And so if, if we're going to discover our real purpose, we're going to discover this. You're going to discover how do you make a difference in other people's lives. That's where your purpose lies. And it's going to be about, it's going to be amongst the people that you like, that you kind of like being amongst, the kind of people that you like being amongst, similar interests, and you're going to find your purpose in probably places where you like to be, with things that you like to do. And in that, God is saying, bring me into this. 
so that your purpose can, can, can get fulfilled, so that people can start seeing me in you. See, the world's approach to work is this. We look first, okay, what's it going to give me? Compensation. That's our first filter that we, that we, that we judge work for, or through. And then if it is, you know, something that, that can sustain me, then I go say, okay, good, I will give my talents to this. And then um, hopefully it gives me an opportunity to do some of the things that I also like to do. And maybe I find an opportunity to help somebody in it. God wants us to flip the script. God wants us to think of, all right, who has he made me to be? What gifts and passions has he given me? Now look for a place where I can express that. And as I start doing that and add value to people's lives, it creates income. It creates compensation. Now, I know that this is a real world and we need, you know, to cover bills. I know that. I also live in this world. I also have bills to cover. I'm also saving for my kids' varsity. I'm also saving for, you know, my retirement. Um, I know. And, and I also have to budget. I understand that. But that doesn't give me the pass on looking at what I'm doing through God's lens. I could have been a quite, a, quite a number of things if I wanted to. I had lots of interests and lots of... But at some point, I realized that God has placed a special desire in my heart to work with people and to help people along a way of life that will eventually lead to their salvation as well as lead them into um, breakthroughs on things that they're trusting God for. And that's why I decided to go into ministry. I did not have any, it was not like I didn't have any other options to follow. I knew that this was going to be the avenue through which I would be able to do that most, mostly. Mostly, what a great word. But that's what led me to make this decision, to do this. Compensation. How many of you know, we don't, <laughs> you don't work at the church to get, you know, to get rich and famous. You know, well, some do, but, you know. I certainly didn't. For the first 16 years of my life, I basically, you know, didn't get paid by my organization. I didn't. I lived by faith, lived, lived by, by partnerships and, 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 and uh, fundraising programs, etc. Did not do this for the money. But the eternal value that I, that I feel I'm involved in and the fact that my real boss is God, and He gave me a promise that everything I do in this life will get a reward, I know I'll be good. I'll be taken care of here, and I'll be taken care of when I'm with Him. Nothing we do will, not, will go unrewarded. But it's a perspective shift. My work, my, my compensation isn't my highest value. It's am I able to glorify God in this? And am I able to do and live who I am in this? Now, I know for most people, that doesn't mean changing my job. It just means having a perspective shift. Like the, the, to the extremes is like this, this side, like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm, uh, uh, um, uh, 
I want to do what I'm doing and I'm not going to get paid at all for nothing of it. I'm just going to you know, live, on, live on love and charity. And the other extreme is, oh my goodness, I'm just going to live, you know, work, get a lot of money and then I'm not going to be able to serve God. And all. I have to choose between you. No, no, no. It's, it's not the extremes that we're talking about here today. We're talking about making wise decisions in the interim on how do I, where I'm at right now, change my perspective of what my role is there and start living it according to God's plan and pattern right where I'm at right now. Because we can glorify God even if we're not perfectly situated in a place where we're passionate about or what we're you know, perfectly suited to do. But if you bring your best in that place and as, as an glorif- offering of glory to God, you're stepping in the right direction. And if you do that, you'll see soon stuff start opening up for you that makes you able to live who you are more. It's just a fact of life. As, as soon as you start serving in the area that you're, you're needing to do, eventually things just start aligning, starts opening up. But you have to take the, that's, that's the, that's the trust that you have to take. You have to take that step and believe that God is going to help you to do what you need to do. Become what you need to become. Even if right now it doesn't make perfectly sense. Even if right now it doesn't feel like it's changing much for me. Because I'm really searching for what am I meant to do. You see, our passion is what we like to do. Talent is what we're good at doing. But purpose is what I'm meant to do. And you're looking at the place where those things interact with each other. And you might find yourself, man, I'm passionate about kids. I want to be, I want to, you know, I have an info, I want to, I want to change the lives of young kids or whatnot. But you're finding yourself in an, in an office job behind a desk 24-7, you have no access to kids. Well, that's something you have to think through. That's something you have to think about. And it might mean that you need a shift. Or you'll find yourself in a place where you're never going to be, you're never going to feel that, that God felt when he said, man, this is good. I'm passionate. I love this. What I did here, this is who I am. And God wants you to feel that. He wants you to feel that, that place in your work. And I know it's difficult because, you know, we've got responsibility. I mean, I need to provide for my family. Well, you have to think about the in-between. There's a lot that you can start doing differently in your workplace that will make you able to glorify God in it without even moving, without even shifting. And 95% of us are going to be there. You're not going to change jobs. You don't need to. You just need a proper perspective of what your role is at your job. And so let's go into that a little bit more. Number three, realize that my vocation is my ministry location. We're going to spend more than a third of our lives at our jobs. Think about that. There's no way that that area of your life is not. That, that God has a purpose and a plan for that area of your life. No way. You will not let that much time just go wasted until you can get back home and now you can be a Christian. Now you can live out your faith. Now you can live to the glory of God. No. He has plan and purpose for all of the hours that you spend at work. All of it. And He wants you to glorify Him there. Now, I know red flags going up. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, there's policies and procedures against all that. If you're red flagging me right now, here's what I know you're doing. You're shutting your brain off. 
and you're trying to give yourself a pass from having to do this at work. Consider this for a little bit. If you would consider not shutting your brain off and ask yourself, how can I do this at work? Don't you think you can find some creative ways that you can glorify God without contravening company policies? Don't you think you can find ways to show people the goodness of God in the way you do life that might cause them to be interested in why you do things the way you're doing it? Which if you get a question, you're always allowed to answer it. Let me say this to you. There are no policies against goodness, against kindness, against love, against serving, against helping. No policies against those things. And if you would take those things and creatively start doing them in your workplace, I guarantee you, you'll get an opportunity to testify about Jesus. And you won't even have to bend any rule because people will be asking you what's going on in your life. Why are you helping me? Why are you so good to me? And you can give glory to God in those moments without contravening anything. Um, in Matthew 5 verse 14, it says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Stop trying to hide your Christianity. You are a Christian. If you need to deal with that, <laughs> that's kind of weird, but, but deal with it, okay? You're a child of God now. Stop trying to hide it. It's not possible to hide it. So why try a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are a city on a hill. You don't have to be doing certain things to become that. You are it. Trying to hide yourself is almost laughable. Just be who you are. You're a child of God. Don't try to hide yourself. Nor do people lamp a light and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand so that it gives light to the whole house. And sure, there are people there, you know, who was busy with dubious things who don't like the light. But I'll tell you what, 90% of people are, are always happy for more light. I would have been happy for more light in the room right now, to be honest with you. But, you know, we'll deal with that at another time. <laughs> um, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Don't just shut your mind off because there's a policy at work that says you're not supposed to proselytize. There is, like, that's like, that's like 10% of your Christian witness. The other 90% is all about how are you glorifying God? How are you helping people? How are you serving? How are you being good, kind, forgiving? Can we, can we, you know, take one of those age-old ideas and just apply it a little in our workplaces. Oh, how long have you been you know, having a feud with, you know, the secretary across the aisle? Don't you think it's time to lay that thing down? Don't you think it's time to, you know, just go, go figure out what, how she likes her tea or coffee. And, you know, when you take your next break, go ask her. Can you, like, she might think you're poisoning it at first. But, you know, in time she'll realize if you take sips of both that, you know, you're not there to actually... Come on, guys. There is so much we can do to serve other people in our workplaces. There's so much we can do to serve other kids in our classes. Think about it. Think about how much you can help people around you 
There's no laws against goodness, kindness, against love. There's no laws against the fruit of the Spirit. If you show those things at your workplace, people will start seeing that you're a God-fearing person, and they'll start coming to you. This is a guarantee. They see you living hopeful when other people are stressing. Oh, we've got you know, layoffs again at work. You're just coasting. Peace of God undergirds you. Why? Because even if you do get laid off, that doesn't mean your life is over. You have a father. He's going to open up more opportunities for you anyways. Yes, it might be a d- disruptive at first, but you'll be okay. And you can walk around with that certainty while other people are freaking out about their, you know, whatever. They'll be wondering. One of my lecturers at college always used to say, you know, if, if, if you're calm and everybody around you is stressing out, just get somebody to explain the situation to you. <laughs> you know, like, as if no. If they're trying to explain the situation to you, you just go, I'm not ignorant. I know. But I have a Father in heaven who's looking after me. I don't have to fear the decisions of man. If you live with hope, you will be attractive. People will come and they will want to know how are you doing this. And in that moment, you can glorify God. That is why your job is your pulpit. That's where you preach. How are you preaching right now? Is it time to make some shifts? Next two points are all about us preparing ourselves to engage the first three points that we spoke about, to engage that tomorrow, to engage that tomorrow. Let me just review that real quick, and then we can, we can jump into the last two points. First one, work is not a curse. Work is an opportunity to show people how good God is. It's an opportunity to show people God's nature that has become our nature. Work is a blessing. Work um, is ultimately for God. Even the teaching you jo- job you have at Crowley High School, is there such a high school? The high school in Crowley. is not for Crowley High School. You're working for Jesus. How can you influence those kids without getting in trouble? with the love of Jesus Christ. First, we work for God. Second, God wants us to live our purpose and make a difference in the lives of people. Who are you? What are your talents and gifts? And how can that benefit the people around you? Third, don't take your job out of, your workplace out of the equation. In fact, For many of us, that is our pulpit. That is our primary place of outreach, our primary place of ministry. Point number four is get your heart and mind right before you go to work tomorrow. Here's what Colossians 3 advises us. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. Who's going to work with you tomorrow? Are they even saved? How can you start showing Jesus to them? Ultimately, that is the most important thing. And if there is any purpose to you being there, it's so that people will know that there is a saving God. Because that's the first calling of every Christian's life. 
the first calling of every Christian's life is to show people that there is a caring, saving God. The people that you're working with, they might, they might be going through divorce. Might have found that you know, their spouse was cheating on them. Might have lost a child to death. They might, what might they be going through? And how can we support? How can we show God's love to them? That's first and foremost setting our minds on the things above. Let me tell you, Jesus' concern for the people you work with is whether their hearts are right with Him. Secondly, clothe yourself with love. Colossians 3, later on, says, Since God chose you to be holy people that He loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for others' faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. God wants you to clothe yourself with love tomorrow when you go to work. Now look, I grew up, I grew up in an in a, a industry society. Um, Steelwork was the main thing where I grew up with. I grew up with hard men. I grew up with men who, um, who could clear out bars. I'll tell you this. No one is immune to the love of God. My father was a building contractor hard man he grew up in a in a house with a, a father who was extremely hard you know the thing I, I, I never I'll never forget there was one friend that my father used to have he didn't live in our city and so whenever he would come to visit it was like I saw something different in my father than when every other friend would come and visit my father. And it was amazing that this guy happened to be a, a very God-fearing guy. But my father would, my father's whole like demeanor would change when this guy would come visit, when their, their family would come visit. And it was because this guy loved my dad. He, he loved God and he loved my dad. And as hard as my dad was, and, and I mean, this guy wasn't a man's man. You know, he wasn't the guy, you know, that everybody looked up to for, you know, strength and honor and respect and all those things. He was a, you know, he was, he was just another guy. He wasn't big and strong and, you know, burly. He was just, average he was hectically average to be honest and yet he loved my father and my father used to enjoy their visits the most of all his friends i just you could see it in him nobody is immune to the love of god nobody but will we take the love of god to them that's the question
Will we stop putting ourselves under a lampshade and actually go and serve people? Ask yourself, what do you like doing and are you good at doing? And ask yourself, how can that start benefiting people around me? And just take small steps to doing that. You'll start seeing a massive change, a massive change in the way you feel about your workplace. And it's, it's no secret that this kind of approach of employees leads to people noticing. Let me tell you, company bosses, they don't like the guys who actually step on other people to be seen. They actually like the guys who help the whole company win. That's just a fact. Because we is always greater than I. The group is always more important than the one individual's career path. And the well-being of their employees is important to, 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 um, to company owners. If you follow this kind of way of doing things, you're going to get noticed by God. Because He loves it when we do things the way He does it. If you seek his kingdom and his way of doing things, he'll line up stuff for you. Don't let that become your motivation. Just glorify God. Love people. Do it practically. Walk in your purpose. Do your work unto him. Stop focusing and pursuing things that does not matter to him. Pursue the things that matter to him. It'll reduce your stress immensely. It'll change your perspective and your, your emotional uh, attitude towards your job 100%. Bring it to Him as an offering. I want us all to stand and we're going to pray now. If you feel like you've been having the wrong kind of approach to your job and you just want to repent of that today, you want to tell God, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to start working for you. I'm ready to bring my work before you as an offering and start focusing on the things that are important to you and start trusting you to take care of me. Why don't you just put up your hand right now? We're going to pray. Father, you see every person who's acknowledging this and putting up their hand. Lord, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to help us tomorrow when we wake up. To not forget to ask ourselves, how am I going to do what I do today so that it brings glory to you and it serves people around me? Father, we pray that as we adjust our focus, we will, you will start showing people just the opportunities they have at their work, Lord. The opportunities they have to be good, to do good, to make a difference to benefit people around them, to show people who you are in, who you are, Lord, so that in time as, as, you, as you guide, Father, we will have the opportunity to also declare you to people who ask. Father, we glorify you today. We thank you for bringing truth to our work places, Lord. In Jesus' name. If you've never had a moment in your life where you've, where you've actually stopped trusting um, 
in your own good works to save you and you've never made this declaration that you believe in what Jesus did on the cross to be sufficient to save you and and you want to make that declaration today. The Bible promises if you would call on the name of the Lord and believe in the Son that your spiritual man will become alive again and you will be made righteous. He will change you on the inside from being a sinner to becoming a righteous person. The Bible calls that being born again. The sacrifice of Jesus will completely pay for everything that you have done wrong in your whole life. And you will stand blameless before God if you've never made that decision to fully trust Him and Him alone to save you. Not your own goodness or your own good works, your own efforts, but just the work that Jesus did on the cross. You want to do that today. Just lift your hand. I'll pray with you also. Thank you, sir. Anybody else who want to acknowledge that? Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Let's pray a prayer together. If you put your hand up, I want you to pray along with everybody out loud. Make this declaration. And pray this like it's your own prayer that you're praying to Jesus. You're saying these words to God. The Bible says when you do this, the miracle of rebirth takes place. You become a child of God. So let's pray this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. I declare God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and Holy Spirit, you're my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we praise you. Thank you that your word declares to, to all who have, who have believed in him and who have called on his name. To them you have given the right to become children of God. And the three people that lifted their hands here today made this confession today have become children of God, never to be taken from you again, Father. We thank you that their faith will remain secure in you, Lord. And that this confession of their tongues will never shift and never change. They'll always know that today they have become right the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and that there's nothing separating them from you anymore, but they are now your children and you are their father forevermore. We just thank you for that and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.